How are we doing tonight? So great spring break is beginning, which doesn't mean anything for me because my daughter is three, but it's, it means the zoo will be busier this week while we go. Um, but I just want to uh, welcome you tonight. Again, I'm Eleanor. I'm one of the lead pastors here. And I'm just super excited about what God is teaching me through the passage we're going to look at tonight. And um, I hope that translates for you. But I do want to say that women are awesome. Um, and that's, that's, is that the end of it? But I do want to share a testimony. So last week I got up here and I felt like the Lord was asking us to magnify him, which means to enlarge him or lift him up over um, areas that were maybe uh, giving us anxiety or worrying us. And I specifically said that if you were a person who owned a business or who you wanted your business to thrive, to magnify the Lord and that he wanted to bless your business. And it's really cool because on Wednesday night, I was so disappointed because I didn't get to hang out with my friend Polly, who I love. She's sitting in the back. And she said, well, you know, Eleanor, I, I couldn't come on Wednesday night to Women's Refresh because they all, uh, Carl and Polly own their own business. She said, Sunday and Monday, we got, was it two or three orders? Three orders um, that they got on Monday. So she was so busy with this abundance that she literally couldn't come on Wednesday night. And I was like, this is what I'm talking about when I say the Lord wants to give you new problems. He wants to give you things that, oh, I have to handle? That you've given me so much now, I have to figure out how to handle what you've given me. And um, so that's just a celebration of something that happened this week. Um, well, we're just going to jump right into the passage. We're still talking about I am. We're looking at who God is through the lens of Jesus in the book of Luke, which is one of the Gospels. Gospel just means good news. The good news written about Jesus' life. So you can join me in Luke 12. Um, and we're just going to get through this passage here, and then we'll break it down. So Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Isn't that a nice line? You need to point that on a pillow. Uh, <laughs> you're more valuable than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. Such a rich passage. Every time Jesus shares a parable or tells a story... I feel like I need a lot of time. So um, with the slides, I'll just say, wait until I say it and then pop it up, which I should have said earlier, so that's my fault. Um, so in reading this sermon, 
first line says, don't worry. So this could easily be a sermon about how you need to stop worrying. Ready? Go. Have you ever tried to stop worrying? Uh, it induces more worry, I have found, uh, ironically. But instead of this being a sermon about how we all need to stop worrying, this is going to be a sermon about who our Father is. Amen. So as we go through this passage today, there's two questions we need to keep in mind and keep our focus on. So as we read through, instead of thinking, stop worrying, stop worrying, stop worrying, stop worrying, which is where I've always been reading this passage, we're going to ask the question, what does this passage say about who our Father is? And what does who he is mean for us? So verse 22 and 23, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. I like how he equates life with eating. Uh, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. And I feel like God, Jesus here is just kind of setting the stage and saying, you got to move your eyes upwards. You can't be so focused on your immediate needs. That's not the way I roll. He's guiding us to let go of holding on so hard to this kind of like physical immediate stuff and asking us to loosen our grip and consider the greater things. So he's just kind of broad scale. Don't worry about your body because it's more than eating. And don't worry about your life because it's more than the clothes. Consider the ravens, he goes on. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. So my notes here are, these birds aren't working and these birds aren't stressing out. The other thing they're doing is they're not storing things up for themselves. Uh, the passage right before this, he's talking about a man who has a huge harvest and says, I need to build bigger barns to hold all of it, builds bigger barns, fills it with all this abundance, and then dies the next day. So he's saying, don't, the ravens aren't uh, collecting things and putting them away in, in case of a rainy day. These birds aren't working and these birds aren't stressing out. So if the work you do is not what determines what you have or your value. Who is it that places value? It says, if God does this for the ravens, how much more valuable are you? So again, we're focusing on who God is. Who determines your value, your worthiness, and not just on you, but literally who are we saying determines value for all creation? We're taking our eyes off of this like, what do I know? And saying, who is it that determines these things? He is the one who determines your value. Not what others say about you, and not what you say about yourself. Also, not what you say about other people. This is an aside, but I feel like it's important enough that I'm going to include it. We're not so good at valuing each other as humans. 
We often take each other for granted or often appreciate or value someone based off of how they're making us feel or if they are living up to our standards. I fell in love with my husband because I felt all like <laughs> whenever I was around him. Uh, and, and that's just true. That's how we're wired as humans. We like people who make us feel happy and make us feel good. And we assign the, our value on someone often based on those things. What we aren't great at is looking at every person we come across and acknowledging their intrinsic value just because they're walking on the earth. If someone is walking on the earth, God thought about them and loved the idea of them so much he had to create them. Amen. That is how God works. So that is like an aside, but we're trying to say, like, who is God? Who is the Father in this scenario? How does he see us? And when he created us, he called it good. Us, all creation, he called it good. Verse 25 says, so who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Anyone? I remember the distinct moment. Do you remember when the Seahawks were like super great? Yeah. So it's a short blip. But um, there's like two years where it was like, oh man, I just, I listened to sports radio anytime I was in the car. And I remember after like two years of this, this very dedicated listening to 710 ESPN. Um, I was like, I would totally be friends with those people. You know, like the jockeys. Anyway, the, um, they, they felt like they're my friends. Guys, I was driving around for okay, I'm lonely. Uh, but I do remember that distinct moment where I realized that I could not, by my listening, actually help the Seahawks win. Like, I'm, I think about it all the time. And I'm worried about it. And I'm very dedicated. But I am not actually helping them by listening. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't, like, return on investment. Like, that is a lot of effort for literally no reason. Um, and, I, and I feel like this is kind of like what Jesus is getting at here. So which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And the question here is, who gives life? And maybe more importantly, who can't give it? Because I can't give it. My husband, on his best day, can't give me an, another hour of life. So again, we're not talking about stop worrying. What can I do? We're putting all of our focus on who he is and what he can do, what he is able to do, and recognizing what we aren't able to do, which is add a single hour. Now this next line, Jesus is just, I'm like, you sneaky. Okay, he says, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Okay, here's another question. He calls adding an hour to your life a very little thing. To whom is adding an hour of your life a very little thing? It's not me. It's not you. Am I right? It is, it is only, only the power of the Holy Spirit in the resurrection that adds an hour to anything, to any life. 
We're getting close to Easter, and I feel like this story is just like putting things in perspective. If you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry? Because he can do this very little thing, and I do think he is foreshadowing the resurrection. Not just an hour, but eternal life is in his power in a moment. But we have to recognize that we do not have that power. It's not just where we are or where he is. It's both of those things together in relationship. In verse 27, it says, Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, the richest king of all time, in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now, as the nerd that I am, semi-proudly, I want you to notice the tense used, not the tense, but I'm not even saying that right. Listen, was dressed. Not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these, which means Solomon, wait for it, is the object, not the subject which means he's not the actor. He's being acted upon, as are the lilies. That is as dorky as we will get this evening. <laughs> but please hear the importance. The object being dressed is in the passive position as the recipient and not the actor themselves. Who is doing the dressing? Of Solomon and of the lilies both. Neither Solomon nor the wildflowers are doing the dressing here. They are being acted upon by the one who cares for them and the one who has the power and ability to take care of them in a way that blows everyone's mind. That is the crux of the issue. Not just, I'll give you your crumb and I'll give you your this, but a way that brings glory to himself. He goes on, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you who struggle with believing that he will do what he says? And I think for me here, the, the part I'm like honing in on for myself is how does he want to clothe you? Not like how would I prefer to be clothed or how would I prefer to appear or what can I get for myself, but how does he want to show me to the world? How does he want to show his glory through me? And that being uh, the crux of what I want God to do in my life. Verse 29 says, do not touch your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. So again, he's asking for our focus to move on. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. The part that uh, jumps out at me is the runs after, because I just started running last week after a really long hiatus, and I'm running like in a jog with a jogging stroller, you know? And I'm like, every quarter mile, I can switch which arm I'm using. 
you know, which one's free. This is supposed to be the funny part. Um, you're like, what is the spiritual significance? No, there's none. Just that running is hard. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to get any easier. Even getting a mile feels like this huge thing. But I don't think it's a coincidence that he says the pagan world runs after all such things. Because he's trying to, sh do you remember just a couple verses ago, he said, you can't do this very little thing. The, the smallness of effort the Lord expends in something so huge and the largeness of effort that, that happens when you are running after all such things. There's a juxtaposition there. They run after all such things. They put this effort in, but our Father already knows that we need them. In that position, we become the actors. We're not being dressed and we're not being clothed. We are the ones running, exerting effort for these things. We are the actors, the, the subject in those stories. And I would just say, like, where's your effort? Where's your focus? Where are we running? Is running what's required? Verse 31 says, but seek his kingdom. And all these things will be given to you as well. It says, seek or focus on his kingdom. And the note I felt so strong at, to, like today as I finish things up is this idea that like his kingdom is here and his kingdom is now. When Jesus is present in us or present through us, his kingdom is right here. And its presence, its presence is just as urgent as what you're going to eat for your next meal and where you're getting your next sip of water. That is how here and now his kingdom is. That's why he's saying seek first. That urgency that it is right here. And notice the second part. It says, and these things will be given to you as well. Both the kingdom and all these things are not gained by you. They are given. I feel like. It was, it was hard rereading all these notes this morning in a coffee shop. Thanks, Philip. Go to metronome. Because um, I'm sitting there at the counter thinking, what am I doing trying to gain what God has given? What Jesus died, and he, like the effort's been put in. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's like the effort's been put in, Eleanor. So what are you freaking out about at all hours of the day and night? I'm a champ worrier, y'all. <laughs> I can take any fun thing and be like, but what are the rules? <laughs> Wouldn't we have more fun if we followed them? That's me. <laughs> Verse 32 says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Giving the kingdom to you 
pleases him. He doesn't give begrudgingly, and he doesn't resent what he's done for you. I'm going to say that again. He doesn't give begrudgingly, and he doesn't resent what he's done for you. That is the most opposite thing to my natural human nature, that statement right there. To truly have all of the power in the world to give us an hour more of life, eternal life, and to say that he doesn't resent what he's done or all that he's given, even in our inability to live up to that or earn it. Verse 33 says, sell your positions and possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. That we would focus on the kingdom here and now and what's best for it, rather than the urgency of providing security for ourselves. This treasure will never fail. His kingdom and what he gives and the way that we're allowed to take part in it is something that just never fades. The work he does lasts. doesn't wear out. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart is. And I hope that what we're taking from this is like our treasure, <laughs> that whole idea of like make yourself stop worrying, I hope is like a far gone thought by this point. And our hearts are just like totally focused on who he is and what he can do and what he's given. Because this passage is calling us to be God-oriented, kingdom-oriented, and God-magnifying people. This is the answer to all the anxiousness and worry and striving. So if we're God-focused and, and we, we're getting this lesson, this idea of him being the one who values and him being the one who gives life and him being the one who gives everything we need before we ask, I think we could stop for a moment and say, so where has he set his heart? What do we see Jesus, what do we see God put his attention and his focus on? What's on his heart? What does his kingdom do? I remember uh, last year at this time, I think it was like mid-April, um, a couple times a month I was having these weird uh, days where I would wake up feeling fine and um, by noon I was like uh, huddled in my bed thinking of ways to die. If I can be very frank. You know me, I don't beat around the bush. It, there was something going on I think chemically between having a baby and stuff like that. And But I didn't know which end was up. And I started noticing that this would happen enough times that I started to say, okay, like I'm in crisis. This doesn't mean that this is actually, that my life is actually this horrible, but I need to be thoughtful now. And I remember the last three because I wrote down the dates so I could track them. And I remember the final time I felt like I was becoming overwhelmed and I was sinking. 
And I started feeling myself getting riled up and I just sat down on my couch in my living room and closed my eyes and started to breathe slowly and say, Jesus, what are you doing right now? What do you have for me in this moment? Amen. And I just let like the waves crash over me and just kept breathing and just kept saying, Jesus, you're doing something. What are you doing right now? I'm here with you. You're here with me. <laughs> and, uh, and I have to tell you that that broke whatever it was that was stressing me out like that. It's not that it never happened again. But because in that moment I could say, Jesus, this isn't about me. Like if I go down the details of what I'm feeling and what it means, like that's not, that has not been working. So I'm just going to say, Jesus, what are you doing? What's happening right now? Where are you? And in that focus on him, in that feeling of being overwhelmed, it's not that it dissipated immediately, but it, it didn't overpower me. In the way that it had. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't be on medication or that we, like, I mean, I go to counseling, etc. What I'm saying is we magnify who he is as the cure for anxiety, not look at, the, not look at all the minutiae and try to solve it for ourselves. Because we don't have the power to add one hour of life. You know what I'm saying? So... We're asking, review the passage. We're saying, look at who our Father is and what that means for us. Your Father has resources more than the richest ruler of all time. Your Father provides for you. Your Father has all the power. He will clothe you for his glory and for your provision. The cool thing is those two things are a lot of times one and the same. Your father has already put all the effort in. Your father knows what you need before you ask. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom and does not resent you. Your father... What he gives doesn't fail, run out, or get taken away, ever. No one can take away what he has given you. And if that is not the cure for worry, not closer to me than the next thing I'm going to eat, which is very important to me, <laughs> and the next thing I'm going to drink, there it is right there. We lift him up. We magnify him. We think on who he is, and we know who he is because we stand on his word. If you're worried all the time, can I just say, anytime you have a downtime with your brain, would you just read his word? Get a version that's easy to read, and just like you have downtime, just read a verse, read two verses, read a psalm, go about your day. Another mental break, read a psalm, go about your day. 
It will reset your brain to knowing who he is. Okay, we have real application today, like a real like PowerPoint, like a real application to do today. I feel like some of us need to wake up in the morning and lead our families into peace. I feel like we're supposed to get together with our family or with our spouse or with a good friend. And we need to read a short passage or a Bible story. Share what you think about it and pray for each other before you go out for your day. Peace in our houses and hearts sends us out for the day looking for his kingdom and settled. If you can't do it in the morning, I mean, I get it. I get it, <laughs> If you can't do it in the morning, do it at night. Reflect on your day in a way that reframes it inside who he is rather than what happened to you. See if you can help your children do this. How can we see who God is today or in this situation? Might be a helpful question to ask your children or to ask your spouse or to ask each other. Where was God in this? Where was his kingdom? When we lift him up, everything gets put in proper perspective. And that doesn't mean that things aren't hard or that terrible things don't happen. It's the most terrible thing that ever happened happened to Jesus. He's not skirting the issue with things that are hard. But with his presence and with his perspective, we go through our lives like knowing who he is and knowing who we are. And that's what guides us. So I'm going to pray for us. Um, And let's just take a minute to just reflect and maybe take a deep breath right now. There's been a lot of talk and a lot of things, so... Lord, your word is perfect. It always does its job. And its work in us is never done. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to make us people of your word. Who stand on who you are. And not on, I don't know, anything else. (laughs) Lord, I thank you that You are all these things that you have done everything that's needed for us to have life and for us to have eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would uh, return us to joy. Lord, things feel a little heavy, a little hard. And I pray, Lord, that, Lord, as we look to you, as we lift you up, as we become you-oriented instead of us, our situation-oriented, Lord, I, I know that your joy is going to spring forth from that. So we pray for it, but we also believe for it. Lord, I pray that as um, leaders in our jobs and schools and communities and everything else, <clears throat> Lord, would you help us start our days leave our homes in peace and not in anxiety or worry, not running after all these things, but 
with our eyes first on your kingdom. Lord, bring your kingdom here, bring your kingdom now to University Place in Tacoma. We want to love you well. Peace that passes understanding in Jesus' name. Amen.